Hello and welcome back to Band Biographies with me, Tom Austin Morgan, your host, to let you know what's been going on since the last episode went out and what you can expect from the next one. Band Biographies is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network of music-based podcasts. Be sure to visit pantheon.com to find a whole host of different types of show on all sorts of music. It's an honour to be placed amongst such brilliant podcasts. Firstly, a big thank you goes out to Brompton Jackson for giving up his time a few months back to talk about his band Will Met's new album Hyperfocused, which I've been really enjoying since it came out at the beginning of August, as well as all the other bands he's in and the challenges of trying to make it all work. He was a great guy, I'm sure you'll agree. Now there have been no new reviews this month, so I'd like you to go and leave one right now so that I can read it out and give you a shout out on next month's episode. It doesn't take long and I'd really appreciate it. And you may have noticed that this episode is coming out a little late and there hasn't been a main episode this month yet. And the reason for that has been the summer in general, um, thinking about going on podcast holiday every year in August and September, unless I can get my arse in gear and sort out loads of episodes up front again, which is unlikely, let's face it. Basically, I've been playing gigs almost every weekend with both High Frequency and Swamp Stomper, and I'm looking ahead to the end of the year and possibly more touring with Sham69, although there have been issues that's meant we've not done any gigs this year at all yet, which has been a real shame. Also, I've been tearing down my old garden shed where I used to do all my recordings, and I've been building a new purpose-built office space down there, with a bar, naturally. So I've just not had the time to do any interviewing or editing on my documentary. But normal service will be resumed shortly and I can't wait to drop the next episode. I'm really hoping that you'll be impressed by it too. It's something you've been waiting for for a long time. But more on that later. First, the news. Hello Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Following on from the alleged allegations of sexual assault supposedly against anti-flag singer Justin Sane, the band's social media disappearing, and several bands signed to AF Records, anti-flag's record label, severing ties with the band, Justin Sane finally released a statement on the 25th of July denying the claims. He also stated that anti-flag is indeed over. Further, the remaining members of Anti-Flag also released a statement at the same time confirming that the band is disbanding. Justin Giever, or Justin Sane's statement, read, Recently there have been claims of sexual assault made against me and I can tell you that these stories are categorically false. I have never engaged in a sexual relationship that was not consensual, nor have I ever been approached by a woman after a sexual encounter and been told I had in any way acted without her consent or violated her in any way. Now that I have had a few days to absorb the initial shock, I am making this statement to set the record straight. Sexual assault is real and has a devastating impact on victims. I have devoted my entire adult life to standing up for these victims, as well as those suffering oppression and inequality who are victimised, demeaned and abused. I have always been and will always be that person. The statements being told about me are the antithesis of what I believe and how I have conducted myself throughout my life. In regard to anti-flag disbanding, as a band, the decision was made that under these circumstances it would be impossible to continue. I want to thank my family and friends and the many, many fans, musicians and bands who have reached out to me to offer their support and help. The statement by the two Chris's and Pat said, A core tenet of the band Anti-Flag is to listen to and believe all survivors of sexual violence and abuse. The recent allegations about Justin are in direct contradiction to that tenet. Therefore, we felt the only immediate option was to disband. We have been shocked, confused, saddened and absolutely heartbroken from the moment we heard these allegations. While we believe this is extremely serious, in the last 30 years we have never seen Justin be violent or aggressive towards women. This experience has shaken us to our core. We understand and apologise that this response may not have been quick enough for some people. This is new territory for all of us and it is taking time for us to process the situation. It was a privilege for us to be in the band Anti-Flag, as we seek to find our path forward we wish healing to all survivors, Chris, Chris and Pat. Now those responses came days if not week or so after the initial allegations came out on the podcast from this one particular woman. Since then, on the 5th of September, the Rolling Stone journalist Cheyenne Roundtree published an article entitled The Punk Rock Predator 
where it turns out that 12 other women have come forward with similar stories to that of Christina Sahadi, who appeared on the podcast and told her story. This is really disappointing for fans of Anti-Flag, I'm sure, because that band professed to be incredibly left-wing, incredibly inclusive, offering a safe space to females, as well as anyone who felt marginalised. And this is why people like myself really loved that band. And to hear the stories written in that Rolling Stone interview or that Rolling Stone article really leaves a horrible taste in the mouth to think that these people, or specifically Giva, is this particular kind of predator while hiding behind his words of solidarity. What's even more disappointing is that the rest of the band Anti-Flag felt the need to disband and not distance themselves from Justin, which is something that happened with the band Kasabian a few years back. They jettisoned their frontman Tom Meehan, who was accused and found guilty of uh, assaulting his fiancée. The two are still married and actually the fiancé dropped the charges but the fact of the matter was he did what he did and that went against what that particular group of individuals in Kasabian were about so they got rid of him. And you just think, you know, clearly there's some... There, there, I, I, I don't want to get into this is how it is and, 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 and whatever, but it just seems like blind eyes are being turned by that, the rest of that band. And that as well really upsets me as a fan and someone whose core values and tenets were shaped by the, by the messages of bands like Anti-Flag. It's just really disappointing. And... Um, I know I'm supposed to be being objective in this particular part of the episode, but I, it's very difficult to do that in such a in such a story. Uh, obviously, what I feel is nothing in comparison to uh, the survivors of whatever assaults took place, and yeah, whatever disappointment I feel is 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 massively outweighed by the suffering. And the uh, the trauma that those women have suffered, and I hope that they are all getting better, and that, well, we've heard it enough times. Survivors need to be believed uh, and not brushed aside. And it seems like uh, a Scottish police force is also being accused of um, something pretty heinous, like overlooking one of these allegations just because the girl herself didn't say no at the time, despite saying that she'd been attacked by this man. But I thought I'd get that out of the way uh, quickly. I now have to figure out what to do with my anti-flag albums, I guess. In the bin, perhaps. But let's move on to hopefully more exciting things. Fans of the band Descendants got treated to a special performance at the end of July. The veteran punks were supposed to be playing the festival De Bears du Monde in Quebec on the weekend of the 22nd and 23rd. However, the band had to cancel their appearance during to flight cancellations. Singer Milo Ackerman was able to make it to the gig, so he jumped on stage with Face to Face to play a handful of Descendants songs with them. 
Sadly, less than a week later, Milo suffered a mild heart attack on the 27th of July. He was rushed into hospital for a procedure and a full recovery is expected, however the band has cancelled their upcoming European tour. Here's wishing Milo a speedy recovery. Devo have announced Western US shows as part of their farewell tour called Celebrating 50 Years of Devolution Tour. The shows will take place between the 3rd of November at Vena Robles Amphitheatre in Paso Robles, California, and Darker Waves Festival at Huntington Beach, California on the 18th of November. The band will also be playing the Good Things Festival in Australia in December. Speaking to The Guardian about the decision to stop touring, Mark Mothersbar said, Imagine you had four wives and you worked together. It's tricky being in a band. Gerald Casale added, I'm in denial because I love performing and I'll hate to see it go. It was part of Devo's DNA, but we did as we could for as long as we could. However, on the 25th of August, Bougie Boy, the Devo mascot, issued a statement on Instagram saying, This is me, Bougie Boy, asking you to stop referring to these 50th anniversary Devo show dates as our farewell tour. Mark, Bob One and Jerry are all in agreement to this. We must all mutate, don't stagnate, spuds, XOX, Bougie Boy. Is this some sort of weird Devo art piece? Is it Devo saying that they're ending touring and but will continue in some other fashion? Is it a statement that they're not stopping touring? I'm sure we'll find out in time. Back in April, Billy Idol performed a concert at the Hoover Dam in Nevada. At the show, he was joined by Alison Mosshart of The Kills and the Deadweather, Steve Jones of The Sex Pistols and Generation Sex, and Tony Canal of No Doubt. The show was filmed and will be released as a video called Billy Idol State Line this autumn. British 80s punks GBH have announced autumn dates for the US and Canada between the 2nd of October at the Glass House in Pomona, California, and the 30th of October at the Monarch Brooklyn in New York. Nice will be joining them on all dates. Legendary Sinead O'Connor passed away at her home at the age of 65 on the 26th of July. A cause of death is currently not known, but police said it's not being treated as suspicious. Since the news of her death, the likes of Garbage, Billy Corgan, Michael Stipe, Ice-T and Tori Amos have all paid tribute. Elsewhere, Lily Allen said she was incensed by some of the spineless tributes coming in for the musician, suggesting that the same people would not have stood up for O'Connor while she was alive. It's also troubling that people have seemingly felt so empathic towards her but didn't feel that they could show it or express it for some reason until they died. What does that say about us? Allen said. In a shocking moment of agreement from me, Morrissey, meanwhile, criticised the music industry over the responses to O'Connor's death. The former Smiths frontman argued that some people's comments were hypocritical when they hadn't the guts to support her when she was alive and she was looking for you. She had only so much self to give, Morrissey wrote. She was dropped by her label after selling seven million albums for them. She became crazed, yes, but uninteresting, never. She had done nothing wrong. She had proud vulnerability, and there is a certain music industry hatred for singers who don't fit in, this I know only too well, and they are never praised until death when finally they can't answer back. Eleven days prior to her death, O'Connor said in a tweet that she was being harassed by a violent stalker. She warned fans to never engage with anyone claiming they know me without asking my management. 
The singer also claimed that she'd previously dealt with an extremely disturbed male sexual predator who groomed vulnerable female fans on her Twitter page by claiming to be her boyfriend. O'Connor's final social media post revealed the devastating impact of her son's death on her last year. Shane, who was 17, died by suicide in January 2022 after going missing from Newbridge, County Kildare. O'Connor subsequently cancelled all her shows that year in order to focus on her own health and well-being. Meanwhile, Bob Geldof has recalled speaking with his friend O'Connor via text message just weeks before her death. He said, Some of her texts were laden with desperation and despair and sorrow, and some were ecstatically happy. She was like that. Either way, she will be missed. Californian hardcore band The Bronx have announced Australian tour dates for this autumn. Civic and 68 will be joining them on all dates. The shows are part of their 20th anniversary tour and will begin on the 17th of November at the Northcote Theatre in Melbourne and ending at the Magnet House in Perth. The Damned cancelled shows in August, including their spot at Rebellion Festival and Portugal's Lunar Festival. The band stated that Dave Vanian had hurt his back and that the band was unable to perform, saying, We would like to apologise to the festival teams and all the Damned fans. We're all disappointed and we're looking forward to playing, but unfortunately it's just not going to be possible. Hopefully we'll get to play the festivals in the future. However, they will be playing a week of shows in the US in late October with Fucked Up and Baby Shakes supporting. Ben Weasel of Illinois punk band Screeching Weasel has released a murder mystery novel called Crow Black the Night. The book is self-released and is about a former rock singer in a band that's now sober. The fictional singer attempts to restart her career in rural Wisconsin, and then people start winding up dead. The first chapter can be read at screechingweasel.substack.com, Crow Black the Night. UK duo Bob Villain are going to release a hot sauce called Bobby's Burn Britannia via the Dean of the Dead Company. The sauce is described as pink grapefruit and scotch bonnet jerk flavoured. It's expected to be out later this year. Bad Cop Bad Cop have cancelled all their upcoming East Coast US and Canadian tour dates due to Stacey D having to have surgery after the band's European tour, which will take her out of commission for about eight weeks. The band says that they will be rebooking the dates as soon as they can though, so hold on to those tickets. Genre-crossing band Fishbone is going on tour in November with Wu-Tang Clan's Gizza for a US tour. Gizza will be backed by a live band called Funky Nomads. The tour will be called Truth and Swords, paying homage to both bands' classic albums Truth and Soul and Liquid Swords and will begin at the Fillmore in Silver Springs, Maryland, and end up at the Paramount in Huntington, New York. In 2013, Ian Watkins, lead singer of Lost Profits, was sentenced to 29 years in prison after pleading guilty to 13 counts of sexual abuse on a minor, including one count that I can't bring myself to mention. All this to say that I have no shred of sympathy for him when I report that on the 5th of August he was taken hostage by other inmates at Wakefield Prison who locked themselves in a cell where they subjected him to six hours of beatings and stabbed him multiple times. However, he didn't suffer life-threatening injuries before prison guards were eventually able to break up the situation. It's been reported that the attack was provoked by jealousy over Watkins giving guitar lessons to other inmates. Watkins will not be eligible for parole until 2031, and for one, I hope he never gets out, and though violence should never be condoned, 
there are definitely exceptions. Jamie Reed, the artist who created some of the iconic Sex Pistols albums and single covers, passed away on the 9th of August at the age of 76. No cause of death was made public. A statement posted by the John Marchant Gallery read, We sadly announce the passing of Jamie McGregor Reed, 16th of January 1947 to 8th of August 2023. Artist, iconoclast, anarchist, punk, hippie, rebel and romantic, Jamie leaves behind a beloved daughter Rowan, a granddaughter Rose and an enormous legacy. New York hardcore band Madballs bassist Jorge Guerra has revealed that he will be leaving the band after their European tour during an interview on Toby Morse's podcast. Guerra said that he is leaving because the band has slowed down too much, the group isn't working out financially and mentally it isn't enough. He added that there's no animosity between the members and he will continue making music. Chris Flippin of Lagwagon and Versus the World recently suffered a minor heart attack while on tour with Versus the World. He's doing okay now and is expected to recover. Meanwhile, Versus the World will be finishing their tour. The band released a statement saying, Hey friends, this morning our biggest brother Chris woke up experiencing chest pains, so we rushed to the hospital in Stuttgart. The doctors said he had a mild heart attack. He's going to be okay, but they are keeping him in for a few days for treatment and observation. He's in good hands here and has demanded we finish the tour. Please send good vibes for a speedy recovery. Thank you, we love you. Later they posted a video of Fippin from the hospital acknowledging that he is in fact okay. And they released another statement later saying Chris is overwhelmed by your outpouring of support but his doctors have put him on thumb rest while he recovers so we kindly request that you send messages to the band otherwise the nurses will take his phone away. Paramore have also had to cancel the last shows of their US tour in Portland and Salt Lake City due to vocalist Hayley Williams' lung infection. Williams put out a statement that said, After my lung infection forced us to postpone four shows, I was hoping a week off of performing and a strict medicine routine would allow my body to heal enough to finish off this tour strong. I've been doing everything that I can to fight this infection so we wouldn't have to disappoint anyone with more news of postponements and cancellations. After struggling through the last few shows and consulting with my doctor, we're unfortunately realising that it's past the point of wanting to push through to put on a good show for you all. I'm now risking long-term damage and I need to pay attention to my body. With that in mind and with a heavy heart, we have to cancel our remaining shows in both Portland and Salt Lake City. Refunds will be available at point of purchase. We are so sorry to all of you who were so patient with us as we rescheduled these and likely rearranged travel plans to still come out. I physically cannot go on. I know this isn't great news for anyone. Thank you so much for your continued support. Let's hope she gets better soon. Glenn Danzig has also announced the postponement of the first two shows of his upcoming tour as well. However, the reason given wasn't medical in nature, but the fact that there's currently a shortage of tour buses. A statement posted on his Facebook page reads, Due to the current tour bus shortage, we are forced to move the Las Vegas and SoCal shows to the end of the tour, September 22nd and 23rd, in order to secure a tour bus. The Las Vegas show will remain in the same venue for the Friday, September 22nd date, but the SoCal show has to be moved to the Toyota Arena in California for Saturday the September the 23rd show. The rest of the tour will be going ahead as scheduled. 
Behemoth, Twin Temple and Midnight will be joining on all dates. Also of note, Cleopatra has re-released Danzig's 2000s albums as well as his classical records. Ex-Adverts frontman TV Smith will embark on a tour where he will play all Adverts tracks for the first time in the USA throughout October. Smith added that he will be backed by a crack team of Houston musicians especially formed for this project. The set will comprise songs from both Crossing the Red Sea and Cast of Thousands. The dates are mostly in California and Texas, and The Shadow will be supporting throughout. After 40 years and to support the new album, The Feminine Divine, Dexies, aka Dexies Midnight Runners, are also going to tour the USA. The tour kicks off in late October and runs through part of November. They hit both coasts and make a couple of stops in Canada, so check the dates out on their social media. Green Day will release a big box set celebrating the 30th anniversary of Dookie, and will be out on September the 29th. The new package includes the original album, the previously released limited Live at Woodstock album, an unreleased live club show recorded in Barcelona, 17 demos and 6 studio outtakes, including 3 that have never been released before. It also comes with a hanging mobile of the dog flying a bomber, from the album's cover art. A CD version will also be released. Fat Mike of NoFX has announced two shows for his Fat Mike Get Strung Out project wherein he performs with an orchestra. October the 12th is at the Fox Theatre in Bakersfield and October the 15th is at the Ace Hotel in LA. The album Fat Mike Get Strung Out is going to be out on the 15th of September via Fat Records. Lars Fredriksson of Rancid is going to be in a new independent horror film called The After Dark. The production studio Plan 10 hasn't revealed a load of details about the film, however it appears to take place in a punk club and is expected to come out in late 2023 or early 24. Amil and the Sniffers are going on tour in the Australian state of Victoria, starting at the Menian Town Hall on the 24th of November through to the Thornbury Theatre in Melbourne on the 8th of December. Dumb Punts will be joining them on all dates. Bouncing Souls have announced a tour which will see them travel up the west coast of the US and Canada in October supported by Bag Cop, Bag Cop, Catbite and Urethane, and then up and down the east coast in December with 7 Seconds, The Pie Tasters, Catbite and Strike Anywhere on select dates. L7 will be releasing a new song called Cooler Than Mars on the 12th of September, both digitally and in the form of a four-pack of flexi-discs, each of which featuring special artwork. L7 is touring the US this month. A Flogging Molly show at the Roseland Theatre on Tuesday the 29th of August was cancelled after a threat of violence was made. A statement written by the band and posted on the venue's Instagram page read, Due to a credible threat of violence in relation to tonight's concert, we regrettably have to cancel tonight's show. The safety of our fans, crew, venue staff, bandmates and friends is our first priority, and we look forward to coming back to Portland to play for you all as soon as we can. If you are already at the venue, please return home, and if you have not yet departed for the show, please do not come to the venue. Stay safe, Flogging Molly. 
The caption to the post was later updated to read, this statement was revised and reposted to illustrate that the threat was specific to tonight's show and not an ongoing threat against the venue. We felt an obligation to communicate during an urgent situation and regretfully did not make it clear that the threat was specific to tonight. Tickets were automatically refunded, though details of the threat have not been made public yet. Bad Religion have announced South American tour dates starting in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and then through Brazil, Chile, Peru, and ending up in Bogota, Colombia. Steve Harwell, who sang for Smash Mouth from 1994 to 2021, has passed away, surrounded by friends and family at his home in Idaho due to liver failure. He was only 56. Smash Mouth had a string of hits in the 90s and 2000s with All Star, Walking on the Sun and I'm a Believer. Harwell retired from the band in 2021 over physical and mental health issues, but not before performing at a motorbike rally in South Dakota during Covid where he dismissed the seriousness of the virus, an event later declared a super spreader event by the National Institute of Health. Smash Mouth said they received hate mail for performing there. Harwell, who struggled with alcoholism, was diagnosed with the heart ailment cardiomyopathy in 2013 and subsequently a neurological condition which affected his memory and speech, but his final decision to leave Smash Mouth came after he appeared intoxicated at a performance in upstate New York where he was filmed slurring his words and yelling at the audience. Smash Mouth's longtime manager Robert Hayes released a statement saying, Steve should be remembered for his unwavering focus and impassioned determination to reach the heights of pop stardom, and the fact that he achieved this near impossible goal with very limited musical experience makes his accomplishments all the more remarkable. His only tools were his irrepressible charm and charisma, his fearlessly reckless ambition, and his king-size cojones. Rest in peace knowing you aimed for the stars and magically hit your target. He will be greatly missed by those who knew and loved him. Following years of speculation, the Rolling Stones have announced that a new album is on the way. Hackney Diamonds will be the British rockers' first studio album in 18 years since 2005's Bigger Bang, though there was a blues covers album called Blue and Lonesome released in 2012. The announcement comes shortly after the band's teaser campaign, which saw their instantly recognisable tongue logo projected onto iconic structures in New York, Los Angeles, London, Paris and other major cities around the world. And that leads us straight into the single and EP reviews. Firstly, the Pretenders have released the third single from their upcoming album Relentless, which will be released on the 15th of September. Called A Love, it's a very Pretenders-y sounding track, and probably my favourite of the three tracks they've released so far. Looking forward to the album. Liverpudlian psych rock band The Coral have released a string of singles from their upcoming album Sea of Mirrors, which will be released on the 8th of September. They're called Wild Bird, That's Where She Belongs, Oceans Apart and Far Away Worlds, and they're all very dreamy, psychedelic songs that float by quite nicely. I hadn't thought about this band in about 15 years, so it's nice to see they're still going and putting out good music. On the pop side of things, Holly Humberston has released her third single from the album Painting My Bedroom Black, which will be coming out on the 13th of October. It's called Super Blood Moon. 
and is another teen angst soak pop ballad featuring a duet with a singer called D4VD, I assume that's David, who I know nothing about, with the odd back and forth verse between the two singers which works really nicely. Bad Cop Bad Cop have released a standalone single called Shattered, which is a great rhythmically driving song with uplifting positive lyrics about the power inside of you and the power of unity in bad situations, like most of the best punk songs. Teenage Fan Club released the song Back to the Light, which is their third single from their upcoming new album, Nothing Lasts Forever, which will be out on the 22nd of September. Nothing Lasts Forever is another acoustic-led jaunty number from this cult band, and I look forward to listening to the album when it's released in a couple of weeks. The second single from the upcoming classical album from NoFX frontman Fat Mike called Total Bummer is a really mournful rendition of quite a fast-paced song from the 2000 album Pump Up the Valium. I'm really drawn in by this project and I'm very impressed by how raucous punk music can be made to sound so beautiful. Talk Sick is the third single from the upcoming second album by Slipknot's frontman, Corey Taylor, and is another swaggering rock and roll number with a catchy chorus and big guitar solos. The album CMF2 will be out on the 15th of September. The Streets released Too Much Yayo and Turn Your Face Into The Sun this month. Too Much Yayo is the second track from the upcoming album by The Streets, The Darker The Shadow, The Brighter The Light, and is dark, minimalist and atmospheric. Whereas Turn Your Face Into The Sun is a standalone single, which struck me as a strange thing to do in the lead up to a new album, but there must be a reason for it. It's more uplifting than Too Much Yayo, but equally minimal. I'd forgot what a unique voice Mike Skinner has, and it's been great listening to new songs by him. Lots of people had things to say when Slaves changed their name to Softplay recently, and the band themselves have taken all that criticism and have made a song that spits it back into the faces of the people who posted them. This is as aggressive and pummeling as anything they produced as Slaves, and it's fucking great. Ash have delivered three more singles ahead of the release of their latest album, Race the Night, which is also out on the 15th of September. Usual Places is a mid-tempo song about reminiscing. Like a God is Ash at the heavier end of their sound, which I always enjoy. And finally, Crashed Out Wasted is a six and a half minute low-tempo song about being on a bender and pestering people to go out drinking. It features a guest female vocal, and has a soaring guitar solo to finish out the last minute or so. It's a real strange song for sure. Mondo Generator is a band I always wanted to get around to listening to, just to see what Nick Oliveri got up to after leaving Queens of the Stone Age. Both songs that have been released so far, 1, 2, 3, 4 and Death March, are incredibly abrasive, mainly thanks to Oliveri's vocals, but also because of the dirty distortion they use on their guitars. It'll be interesting to see what the album We Stand Against You will sound like when it comes out in October. In the meantime, I might try to catch up with the last 20 plus years of their back catalogue and see where this fits in the grand scheme of things. The Gaslight Anthem have released the song Little Fires, which is the third single ahead of the album History Books, which is out on the 27th of October and it's a great, driving, very Springsteen-esque number, and probably the best of the three singles so far, despite the title track actually having the boss himself on it. Give it a spin, it's really great. 
Molotov Jukebox is a band I became aware of when lead singer, accordionist and actress Natalia Tenner, of Harry Potter and Game of Thrones fame, appeared on a podcast I was listening to. It's a kind of gypsy jazz flamenco style band. The song I Need It is their latest single and probably encapsulates everything I really like about their music. It's proper carnival style music and I can imagine that their gigs are really good fun. Check it out. Dream Nails have released an EP called Ball Pit. The song Ball Pit is a really fun, boppy little number with massive chords playing over the almost nonsensical lyrics of the choruses. It goes a bit electro in the middle eight. Now Dream Nails are a really exciting and vital band. The EP also includes the previously released singles Good Guy and Femboy, which are more politically aggressive than Ball Pit, unless I'm missing the point, which I may be. Finally, the Rolling Stones released Angry, the first single off their upcoming 24th album, Hackney Diamonds. It's a feel-good hit, it's dumb as fuck, but they really do sound like they're having a good time playing together. I'm not the world's biggest Stones fan, and I can do without the noodly guitar solos, and I start to drift off after the initial two minutes of the song, when it all gets a bit repetitive and jam bandy. But it really surprised me that I enjoyed it as much as I did, and good on them. And now albums. Having no real knowledge of Dexy's Midnight Runners outside their most well-known songs, it was a surprise that the band was still making music and had recently shortened their name to Dexy's, let alone that they were still making new music at all. But here we are, with The Feminine Divine, which came out on the 28th of July. It comes after a few years of soul-searching from the band's leader, Kevin Rowland, who's reflected on his views on women and his relationship with masculinity. This is a concept album that features a narrative across a series of songs that sounds like an extended therapy session, and here the weight of the concept threatens to become too much for the music to support, and how much you relate to the content will definitely vary. Opening track The One That Loves You is a classic, brash and brassy Philly stole style Dexy stomper, but as you proceed things get weirder. The whole second half of the album in particular may test your mileage for hearing Kevin being very, very literal about his relationship with women, so much so that the squelchy funk of the song Goddess Rules is entirely a male-female dialogue on the subject. It doesn't always quite work and teeters into cringe-inducing territory more than once. The album sounds closer to a stage musical than an album, but then Dexys are performing the album in full on their current tour before playing the hits as a kind of encore, or perhaps a present to those who sat through the Feminine Divine show. Either way, Kevin's honesty and clarity on this album is to be respected, even if it's not always a comfortable listen. Welsh ragger metalers Skindred's eighth album Smile opens with one of the band's heaviest songs to date called Our Religion, which seems determined to scare off the casual listener before continuing with the equally pummeling but much more fun Gimme That Boom and set phasers, which seem machine tooled to get festival crowds moshing. Things then take an interesting turn with the next few songs, including the regret-filled If I Could, instant summer banger L-O-V-E, Smile Please, Disappointed Love, which is basically a lover's rock song with slightly heavier guitars, a pop-ragger metal protest song called Black Stars, which includes a children's choir, 
and closing song Mama, a loving song dedicated to mothers, specifically Benji's. Only a band fronted by someone as charismatic as Benji Webb could get away with such an eclectic mix of styles all on one album, and he and Skindred have certainly proven themselves in the live arena over the last 25 years. It seems that the general public agree as well, as not only did Smile top the UK's independent and rock and metal album charts, it also reached number two on the actual album chart. So well fucking done then. Legend has it that in 1993, the five original members of the Hives, then adolescents, were plucked from small town Swedish obscurity by an elusive Svengali named Randy Fitzsimmons. Guitarist Nikolaus Arsen once described Fitzsimmons as the brain of the band, the sixth member, and the writer of all their songs. In fact, he's credited as the songwriter on all of their albums. When he died under mysterious circumstances, the hives went on hiatus, that is until unanswered questions about his death led the band to excavate his supposed grave. Rather than a corpse, the casket held an album's worth of music and lyrics. Of course none of this is true, Randy Fitzsimmons is Arson's songwriting pseudonym, and the Hive's long hiatus was a result of health problems. Mundane mortality, sickness and surgery collided with the band's fantasy world, and this bolt of urgency may account for the sheer rage of their new album, The Death of Randy Fitzsimmons. The band's sixth album turns back the clock a bit and returns them to a gritty garage punk sound rather than the more pop-tinged production on the last couple of albums. There are dead serious songs on this album, such as Countdown to Shutdown, even if it is delivered in the same raucous energy as less serious songs like The Bomb, which stretches the call and response chorus to its furthest limits with the lyrics, what do you want to do, get down, what don't you want to do, get up. What don't you want to not don't do? Not get down. What don't you want to not don't want to do? Not get up. Brilliant. You need the Hive's energy and fun in your lives, so do yourself a favour and buy this album. It's what Randy Fitzsimmons would have wanted. Mancunian genre-mashing band Hot Milk released their debut album, A Call to the Void, on the 25th of August. This really doesn't feel like a debut album. The duo have been going for a few years now and have released three EPs honing their craft and writing gold-plated anthems, so they're ready for this moment. Right from the starting gun on A Call to the Void, the objective is clear, to sound as massive as possible. The soaring opener, Welcome to the, feels cinematic in scope as it mounts in intensity, paving the way for the thunderous explosion of angst that is horror show. From there, they start a party in the wry, charismatic, electro-rock riot of Party on My Deathbed and the gleefully silly Alice Cooper's Pool House. However, it's in the second half of the album where Hot Milk hide the unexpected gems. Over My Dead Body is a thumping rager with an unexpected theatrical touch thanks to soft violins, while Migraine's synth-soaked verses give way to barbed screams and a spiky chorus in one of the album's most creative moments. Meanwhile, the turbulent breathing underwater sears with white-hot emotion, making for not only Hot Milk's strongest ballad to date, but perhaps one of the best songs they've committed to records. This is a really exciting band, and I urge you to go listen to them now. From new bands to very, very old. 
Alice Cooper's 22nd solo record and 29th studio album in total, Road, was also released on the 25th of August, and it's honestly not really my thing. It begins with some fairly cheesy intro tracks called I'm Alice and Welcome to the Show, before explaining life on the road, both the highs and the lows, on tracks that all have titles that tell you everything you need to know about the content of them before you've heard them. These include All Over the World, White Line Frankenstein, Rules of the Road, Road Rats Forever, Baby Please Don't Go, and 100 More Miles. The album closes with a cover of The Who's Magic Bus, complete with crowd applause. There are some real stinkers on here too, namely Big Boots and Go Away, but I get the impression that you'll enjoy it if you've been in on the coop train for a while, but there's nothing really here to hook new listeners. On the 1st of September, Royal Blood released their fourth album, Back to the Water Below, and it seems like a bit of a step backwards for a band that really expanded their sonic horizons on their previous album, 2021's Typhoons, which was produced by Paul Lepworth, who's worked with Adele, Florence and the Machine and U2, as well as Josh Homme of Queens of the Stone Age. It may also be slightly clouded by the not very self-aware outburst of lead singer and bassist Mike Kerr at Radio 1's Big Weekend this summer. Kerr's raging against the dying of the rock and roll light at the event was fatally compromised by a few things, among them the sight of a grown man throwing a tantrum in front of a largely teenage audience, but the chief issue was that Royal Blood are not really especially out of place at a pop-oriented festival. Their stock in trade has always been pop songs based around hooks and melody, which they then cloak with a bass distortion pedal to make them fit an unsophisticated idea of what a rock song is supposed to sound like loud. And this has proved a lucrative approach for the duo. On 2014's Royal Blood and its 2017 follow-up When Did We Get So Dark? Fans of Royal Blood's trademark huge riffs might be disappointed with Back to the Water Below, which is a more measured record. The firing line simmers but then fizzles out as if they deliberately hold themselves back from a crescendo. Pull Me Through and There Goes My Cool are both bluesy rockers that bring to mind lullabies to paralyze era Queens of the Stone Age, which isn't a bad thing and they certainly are a band I've compared them to before. Elsewhere there are a myriad half-hearted attempts to infuse their distortion pedal bashing signature sound with something fresh, but these changes in direction always feel forced, never natural. The rock and roll check that Kerr wrote up on that stage in Dundee has not been cashed on Back to the Water Below, because Royal Blood are not the band to make an earth-shattering, bone-rattling argument for heavy music. Instead, they're a perfectly serviceable pop-rock group, who playing these songs will not look out of place on next year's Big Weekend lineup one little bit. And now, for next month's episode. I'm finally going back to my roots and bringing out a documentary episode. And what's more, it's about one of the most beloved UK bands from the 1980s, one that's still going today, is quintessentially English, utterly beloved, but doesn't really get the flowers they deserve. It's also the first band that I've covered that didn't start out as a punk band. They're the biggest band to come out of the two-tone movement, even though they never really fit into that label. It's the one and only legendary Madness. Now a band with a back catalogue as huge as theirs, 
and a popularity that was pretty mainstream, at least in the UK and parts of Europe anyway, has a story as long and winding as the Thames, so I'm not going to give it all to you in one go. Rather like the Adam and the Ants episode, there's a natural break in the story that allows me to chop it in half, but never fear, there's nearly three hours of personal stories, anecdotes, record label friction, and of course amazing music for you to enjoy, and we don't even get out of the 1980s by the end of the episode. I can't promise you that the episode directly after it will be the second half of this mammoth story, because I haven't even started recording the script yet, though it is written, but I will aim to get it out much quicker than it's taken me to get this one out, so I'm basically giving myself 18 months. Joking aside though, I'm really going to bust my gut and get the second half of the story done, and hope to have it with you as soon as I can. In the meantime, I really hope you enjoy the first half of the story, and the first documentary episode I'll have released in over a year and a half. I can't wait for you to hear it, and you never know, it may be out sooner than you think, so keep those podcast apps refreshed. I'd really love some feedback on this one because it's been a real labour of love, so please do get in touch on whatever social media or contact method you prefer. I'll be sure to reply. Until next time then, take good care of yourself, pick someone else up if they fall down, see you in the pit. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.